I just want to, before I share God's word from Philippians 4, um, I just want to say briefly about last week. Thank you for being so generous and understanding. I know for those of you especially who joined our service via YouTube, uh, without giving uh, a heads up, uh, I had made a decision in the morning of uh, Sunday last week, and uh, I wanted to have a heart-to-heart talk. And I realized during our staff meeting, yeah, there could have been a, a maybe a different way where I, have, I give a short message and then cut off the line, uh, YouTube, and then um, have my talk with you who are here. But uh, at least I didn't hear any complaint. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, I just want to give you some updates about um, how uh, quite a few of you actually reached out to me, and I'm so grateful because... Um, as I'll be sharing about how we are to not just listen to God's word and be hearers of God's word, but doers of God's word. That's basically today's message. Uh, quite a few of you not only sent me money so that I can pass it to those in need, called me and reached out to me that they would love to help out with whatever need there is uh, in the church now and, and beyond. And so I'm so thankful, and I'm so proud of you, and I'm, we are very blessed. Uh, yes, we do it imperfectly, but uh, I just want to thank God for each of you, for those who care. We have winter coat drive, winter clothing drive for the refugee families. Um, we have a lot of refugees around us, and so those will be given. So last sun, uh, next Sunday will be the last day to donate, so please do participate. Give something that you would love to wear. That should be the spirit with which we give, right? Not a leftover, but it's a worship to our God. It's an extension of our worship. Now, for uh, refugee families in our midst, uh, we want to care for them well uh, through life groups. So I've, I've asked uh, Pastor Jonathan and a couple of deacons and George to be coordinating uh, for our church family to participate in giving that is rather well-organized. So if you're part of a life group, uh, we'll be not just giving, but getting to really know them and love them um, person to person. So I'm looking forward to uh, that as well. If you're not part of a life group, want to be part of one, then I do encourage you to talk to me. Uh, We have starting point. If you want to kind of restart small group experience, every Sunday, it's Grace leading one, and then friend and Randy will be um, leading starting point uh, from January onward as well. So please, um, it's hard to care well. Uh, We're not a megachurch, big congregation, but we are big enough where people can fall through the cracks. And I don't want that as a pastor. And our leadership doesn't want that. So uh, it needs to be mutual. So we will do our best. And where we fail, inform us, and we will try to do better. So, but it needs to be mutual, right? So um, don't feel like uh, I can't ask because, you know, he's busy or they're just having too many things to do. No, you matter to us. So please, please speak to us. Now, I got uh, 20 minutes or so. I had actually seven points from Philippians. Okay, you're laughing. Okay, so I actually put it down to four points. And then I'm like, no, 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 that's too much. And then I did okay, two points, and then I decided to just do one point today. So thanks be to God. But with three sub-points, 
So <clears throat> I'll try. Today's topic is obedience. Abundance through obedience. Jesus, after preaching amazing sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7, at the very end of his sermon gives a parable. It's a parable of two different buildings. You guys remember? At the end of chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel. One is built on solid rock. Another built on sand. Storms come. Wind blows. The house is shaken to the core. But the one that's built on the foundation of rock stands perseveres. It's all right. But the one that's built on the sand crashes, crumbles down. And the point of the message is don't just be hearers of God's word. You got to do the word that you hear. Faith without works is dead. It's empty. It's meaningless. It's like you going to doctor and you have a, a wonderful meeting with a physician for your knee, you hear all these information, you're like, oh, that's good, that's good, and the doctor's amazing. And then you go home, and you do nothing. What's the point? Only when you carry out what the doctor tells you that is good for you, Abundance through obedience. Obedience is not something that we must do. Obedience is something that you, we want to do when it comes to obeying God's word. I've come to realize, I'm 47 this year, almost 50, and I can't believe I'm almost 50, my goodness. I've been in this Christian journey and discipleship for many, many years, many, many now, over three Decades, almost four. Long time. And I've been to, I've been going to school for a long time too. Yeah. I thought discipleship is knowing a lot of stuff. I love learning and studying. I know many of you do too. You take classes, you listen to lectures, you watch YouTube videos, create sermons, and you feel like I'm being fed. And my faith is growing. I've come to realize true discipleship according to Jesus is not knowledge-based discipleship. It's obedience-based discipleship. It ain't matter how much you know unless you do it. You can say all you want. I love Jesus. But if you don't obey, it doesn't mean anything. You can say, I love you, my friend. I love you to your husband or wife. But if you don't do what he or she likes or loves, that word doesn't mean a thing, right? I've learned that from my marriage too. It doesn't mean a thing. 
what I've learned over the past many years is that in my life, there's a huge gap between what I know and what I do. Someone like me, who went to seminary, studied theology, loved learning, I think my knowledge is like, at least here, but my doing, it's like, honestly, it's here. Narrowing this gap is much needed, and that's what discipleship is. Jesus didn't say, go to all nations, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then teaching them. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. It's not about teaching all that I command. Teaching is easy. Listening is easy. Learning is easy. And you feel good. But doing it, applying it, the nitty-gritty stuff of life, it's not easy. It's complicated. You've got to work it out. That's why sermon cannot do everything for you. After sermon, you have to process it. You have to pray about it. You have to share with your small groups. You have to ask pastors or leaders or fellow brothers and sisters, I'm in this situation, what do I do? You've got to work it out. If you don't do that, your head gets really big, but your body isn't growing, and that's a picture of a baby, right? Big head! Well, a lot of us, <clears throat> including myself, big head, small body, immaturity. <clears throat> you could be a pastor. You could be a church leader. You could have been church over 50 years, but still be immature. Maturity is measured by obedience. I mean, Jesus is the perfect standard, right? Jesus obeyed perfectly. I want to just camp on two verses today with one point and three subpoints, okay? So if you have your Bible, Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, I'm just going to read those two verses. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We are now on the last chapter of Philippians. We have been going through the sermon series over the past almost three months. I wonder how you applied what you have heard for the past 10 weeks in your life. If you remember what I or Pastor Jason or whoever preached on Sunday shared. Personally, I found applying God's word, it's not easy. I, 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 even this week, I'm struggling. I was actually reminded of what I preached a month ago. <laughs> I, was, I went for a walk, and I was reflecting, I was praying, and I was like, that word that I preached, I'm not applying in my life. Oh, my goodness. And I'm repenting, 
And I'm asking God for help. Lord, help me to fill that gap. I, I not only know, but I preached. But I, I struggled to apply. Help me to narrow the gap. We need to apply God's word. The big idea today is that we must not delay obedience. Can we repeat that? We must not delay obedience. Why? Because delayed obedience is disobedience. Let's say this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If you know what God wants from you, but you're not doing it, that period, you're living in disobedience. And your life cannot be abundant if you or I are living in disobedience. Sometimes you can say, I'll do it later. Many things in life, I'll do it later. But when it comes to the word of God, a clear word of God, and we don't do it immediately, we say, I'll do it later. During that time, the grace of God that ought to be abounding in our lives, you will not experience. So we are the ones missing out. I was, as I was thinking about how we are not to delay obedience, a couple thoughts came to my mind. Number one, you know when Abraham was given a command in Genesis chapter 22 to sacrifice his son Isaac, almost a teenager, ages could be like 13, maybe 20. Not a young guy, but Abraham, when he heard God's voice, he did not say, I'll do it later. Instead, he said, the Bible says, immediately Abraham went and did the next day. No delay. I was thinking for some of you parents, if God tells you, go sacrifice, kill your son, your daughter, you may say, yes, I'll do it. Because you're struggling and you wanted to kill him anyways. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't assume that I'm struggling in my family life, okay? Please don't do that. Yeah, that's an assumption. I love my kids. Abraham, he said, he loved his son. God said, sacrifice your one and only son, the son whom you love. And Abraham says, yes, and does it immediately. Can you imagine Abraham delaying? Abraham by then is about 115, because he had Isaac when he was 100. Old man, he dies about 135. He says, you know what? Just let me enjoy five more years. By the time he's a bit older and he's about to do it, Isaac could say, Daddy, I think you have dementia. I think that's hallucination. Grabs his dad. No, 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 I'm not going up kill an animal too late an old man not even able to go up the mountain falls he had to obey immediately 
Can you imagine Jesus? You know what? Jesus was around 33, scholars say. He was a young person at his prime age. But the Father's will was for him to die when he was 33. Jesus could have reasoned, you know what? If I have one more year or five more years, I could do so much more for God the Father. But you know what? At his prime age, Jesus went to the cross. Can you imagine Jesus living 30 more years, doing a lot of good stuff, and then dying on the cross as a grandpa, as an old man? You could reason and justify. No, Jesus obeyed perfectly God's timing without a delay. Delayed obedience is disobedience. We must not delay because, we, we, we must not delay obedience because delayed obedience is costly. You know what? Obedience is costly too. Abraham almost killed his son, Isaac almost died. Jesus literally died. Obedience is costly, but you know what? I realize disobedience is costly too. Obedience is costly, but it leads to life of abundance. Life in its fullness with God. But disobedience leads to, it's costly, yes, but it leads to not life in its abundance, but life that is dreadful. This week, on Tuesday, I was enjoying one of my favorite snacks, ginger chewy. You know ginger chewy? And uh, without my knowing, a crown at the left bottom of my, the molar, crown came out. It's a gold crown from Korea that I got, I don't know, 25 years ago. I was like, what the? Right? So immediately I called my dentist and I made an appointment. As early as possible, I want to get it done, right, to, to put the crown back. And I called Gina, who's a dentist, to make sure that it's okay to wait a few days, right? And she said it's okay. So I got it done on Friday morning. I could have just lived with it. I mean, I could still eat. There's no pain. Yeah, it was... There's no pain. I could eat. I, 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 had, like, I asked Gina, like, do I have to fast till Friday? Like, not eat just, eat, just drink juice and milk or whatever, water? I said, no, 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 you can eat. I could have just lived because it wasn't uncomfortable. It was okay. I mean, I felt like with my tongue, I could feel it's hollow, so I, I wanted to put it back in, put something back in. I didn't get a gold one this time, but it's okay. I could have just lived on, but then if I did, I learned it could actually lead to possibly root canal treatment, extraction, implant, and what just cost me about $150, $200 on Friday could cost me thousands, like $5,000 plus. Not only that, I'm going to experience pain. But I'm not, I'm not experiencing a local pain 
just for that area of the molar, but my whole body will be in pain. So if you delay, it could lead to a lot of pain, a lot of cost. Not just for you, but people around you, your family, this church, people who are connected to you. You know what, when Paul writes this letter, it's so intriguing that when he comes to chapter 4, verse 2, he literally names two individuals, Euodia and Syntyche. He says, I entreat you, Euodia, I entreat you, Syntyche, to agree, literally, to think the same in the Lord. And then he says, Yoke fellow, my true companion, please help these women to be reconciled. They, they fought a spiritual battle with me. They were in a war with, with me. They were in missions work with me. There must have been some kind of a fallout. They were Paul's good friends. They worked for Jesus for many, many years together. But we don't know what exactly happened. But relationship just got severed. They're not talking to each other. They're coming to Sunday worship. And everybody knows that something's up with them. They're talking about it at different meetings. And so when Epaphroditus goes to Paul in prison, giving money, supporting him, he's talking about what's happening at the church. And telling Paul, you know what? You know what happened? You can't believe, I can't believe this is happening at our church. Out of all people, Euodia and Syntyche had a fallout and they're not even talking to each other. What do we do? And Paul is heartbroken. Timoth is weeping beside him. What's happening? A lot of scholars say the reason Paul wrote this letter is because of Euodia and Syntyche's fallout. The very word, agree in the Lord, comes at the heart of Paul's letter in chapter 2. Let me read it. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and you do have those things, complete my joy then of being of the same mind. And he, can, he just bombards the letter with emphasis on unity. Very same word. Very same word. Have the same mind. And then talks about Jesus. Right? Have the mind of Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. And became a man. And became a servant. And obeyed. Completely and fully. To the point of death. Death on a cross. So when Paul was writing that, he was writing to the church that was struggling with the tension between two leaders. 
and it's breaking Paul's heart. And he is, you know, back in the days, it's not a, it's not a private letter. So Epaphroditus comes, arrives. Everyone's happy to see him. We heard you, you almost died. So good to see you. And then he starts reading this letter in public like this. And the letter is moving. Hearing about Paul and his life, his pursuit of Jesus, love for Jesus. Oh, Paul's good. And then when he comes to, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And they're so moved. And then the next sentence they hear, I entreat you, Euodia. I entreat you, Syntyche, to be reconciled in the Lord. And you could hear a pin drop. I wish somebody would say that. Everyone's thinking and deal with that issue. No one's able to handle it. They try, but it's not working. And Paul finally speaks directly into it. It's like me during my sermon. Elder James. Where's Elder John? Elder John, I entreat you, please, agree in the Lord. I say this because they're amazing men of God and they have no relational issues. I'm telling John, Bonnie, in public service, I know you have marital issues, but... (laughs) No, their marriage is amazing. That's why I'm give, using them as an example. I planned it. It wasn't, it, it wasn't impromptu because their marriage is amazing. But it's literally like breaking the silence, naming the elephant in the room, clearing the air. And it's not just Paul calling them out. He loves That's why it's followed by my beloved. You're my crown. You're my joy. And then it's followed by these women. They strove with me. They fought the battle with me. You know what? Their names are in the book of life. So as Paul is entreating, encouraging, he's not pounding them. He's pleading with them. He's ooing them. And he has every good reason to believe that they will come together. Their their names are in the book of life. Spirit is in them. I need to finish. What do you think happened? Can you guess? Use your imagination. So, Yodia and Syntyche hears their names in public. What do you think happened? One scenario in my imagination is this. How dare you, Paul? (laughs) I thought we were friends. You put me to a public shame. My goodness, I cannot believe what you just did to me. 
I'm leaving. <laughs> and they just walk out the door without hearing the whole letter. That's a possibility. I hope that didn't happen. And in faith, I don't think that's not what happened. I believe what happened is this. As the Spirit is working while Epaphroditus or someone with a good voice like Terry reading the letter to the church, when they hear about Jesus, when they are challenged, you know what, if you have any encouragement, any comfort, participation in the Holy Spirit, any affection and sympathy of God, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, being in full accord of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others, things of others, experience of others better than your own. And then when they hear about Jesus, and it's not about disobedience, delayed disobedience, is, or di delayed obedience is disobedience, so it's wrong, or it's costly, that moved them. It's really when they came to recognize again who they are in Christ. I think the secret is this. Agree in the Lord. In the Lord. Because of Jesus who is in them, and because they are in Jesus, as much as they were must, like, keeping that grudge against the other person, as they remember what Jesus came to do for them. That while... I was yet a sinner. And I did not even know that I was hurting Jesus. That I was not a friend of Jesus, but I was living like an enemy of Jesus. But Jesus still died for me. When, when that gospel broke through again in their hearts, Instead of feeling so embarrassed by Paul's mention of their name, they're grieving that they were so blinded by their self-pity, looking at the other person who did me wrong instead of looking to Jesus who was wronged, and yet he forgave. And whose obedience costed him his life, and he died. And that was his love for me. I come to realize when it comes to relational conflict, it's messy. Especially in families. It's, it can be really messy. At church, if you have some distance with one another, 
it's okay. But if you're really close and then something happens, it gets awkward. And you don't know what to do. And you, you kind of keep that distance. But you know what, what concerned Paul? You keep that for a long time. That becomes a culture of the church. Safe distance is important. Don't get me wrong. They're all different spaces. It's not, it doesn't have to be all intimate space for every relationship. There's a public space, there's social space, there's personal space, and there's intimate space. But they were intimate, and then now they're like severed. And if that happens in a family, in a church, that becomes a culture, gospel loses its power. The only thing that will restore that relationship is nothing other than coming back to Jesus. So when they hear the gospel again afresh, what Jesus has done for them, and not just for me, as I have been forgiven, as I have received mercy, as I truly know the heart of God, heart of Jesus, you're able to then extend that mercy, that same grace to the other. So I imagine Yodias here, Senthiki here, intentionally, when they walk into church, they're like, they're not greeting. If, if Yodias sees Senthiki sitting there, that's not the section. You're sitting in that section. But before the letter ends, when they hear Spirit working in their hearts, they're heartbroken. They fall down. They weep. They repent. By the letter, by the time the letter is finished reading, they're looking for the other. And they come together. And they pray together. They hug again. And then friends, brothers and sisters, come along and weep with them. Now, that's a beautiful picture of an abundant life together through obedience. Let's pray together. So as we pray, I want to invite you to open your heart to Christ. You may have all these reasons why you cannot do certain things that you know God wants you to do. And you've been just putting it off. Oh, I'll do it later. You're just delaying it. I'll do it tomorrow. And the tomorrow becomes next week. The next week becomes next month. Next month becomes next year. And that becomes a pattern of your life. And I pray in the name of Jesus today, that God will break that cycle. No more delaying when it comes to obedience. Yes, there are times when you have to take time for discernment. Don't rush, don't rush. There are things that you shouldn't rush, but there are things that you just cannot delay any longer. And some of you have been delaying it too long, and that's enough. And it's for you I'm saying this, where God is speaking to you this morning. My child, I love you too much. Stop delaying. I, want, I, don't, I don't need your money. I need you. I need your heart. 
come back to me. I will help you, and Jesus will help you to obey the perfect one. You know, the gospel, the complete gospel is this. Not only did Jesus obey for you, that's the gospel. What we cannot obey, Jesus obeyed. That's the good news. But it doesn't mean that, therefore, I don't have to obey. No. The complete gospel is Jesus obeyed for you and will empower you to obey Jesus. God, we pray for that grace this morning, together as your people, that we will be a joyfully obedient people, quick to listen and say yes to you. And some of you, you you have been delaying it so much, and it's been costing not just your life, but those around you. You really have to repent today. Don't delay that. You need to say, I'm sorry. Not just say sorry, but you got to do something about it. You have to do something. Don't, Don't say just sorry. You have to do something to mend the relationship. Yes, that very thing that Spirit is reminding you right now, that's what you need to do today. Yes, take time to think through, but don't delay too long. But ultimately, we don't have power to do what we are called to do apart from Jesus. Your heart has to move. My heart has to move. How can I love my enemy? It's impossible. Person who put me down, looked down on me, my goodness. But remember Jesus, who was betrayed by his friends, who suffered loneliness, rejection. And he says, I know what you went through. I know what you're going through. That's why I came. Jesus, we thank you that you came. and revealed the heart of a father whose heart is broken when brothers and sisters are not in unity. But when we are living in unity in our families, in our church, in our relationships, it not only delights us, but it delights you. Father, we pray that our church, as broken as we are, and there's so many things that we need to work out together, we pray, Father, that the power of the gospel will run so deep in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our life groups, in our ministries, that we will embody the grace 
and mercy of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our relationships, that we will be doers of your word, thereby glorifying you through our life every day. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, amazing and powerful love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of God's people who have said yes to your message to not delay obedience, but to follow you faithfully and joyfully today and forevermore. 